This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson today, August 5, and this is episode 67. Well, just ahead, Fastly, not so fast. A lousy quarter from a crucial internet company. Plus, Lemonade also has a lemon of a quarter. And we'll drill down on the recent IPO Sentinel One with our guest, Sinewave's Yana Suiza. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to earning, any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But hit the subscribe button. Make sure you catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories behind some stocks in the move. We'll be doing some drilling down and we've got the three most important business news stories of the day with executive producer Isaac Webster. Hey, Corey, let's start with Amazon. Uh, Amazon is, and well, I should actually say, let's start with COVID. It's all a big COVID story. Amazon is delaying the return of corporate employees to offices until next year. That's because, you know, conditions around the COVID-19 pandemic are evolving and the Delta virus is driving a surge in new coronavirus cases. And of course, the Lambda variant is also gaining traction. Amazon had previously targeted early September for regular office work to resume. Now, I want to add it here, a separate story that's also connected. Corey hates this, so bear with me. But speaking of COVID, Moderna is now saying it expects people who receive its two-dose COVID-19 vaccine to need a booster shot in the fall to protect against Delta and other variants. The company says its vaccine remains 90% effective against COVID-19 for at least six months, but it sees a decline in antibody levels Antibody levels after six months, especially against these new strains. So if you got the vaccine as early as you could, like you and I did, right? then those six months are up pretty quick if you got the Moderna, which I did not we, get. You know the way I'm looking at it? So my Tell six-month six window with Moderna ends on August 27th. That's my, that was when I got my second shot, February 27th. So- now that I have battled COVID back in July, I have my little nature's booster shot. Nature's that, booster shot. That's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the bright side there, but I really hope that we're able to get these boosters to everyone that needs them so that we don't have problems in the months ahead. It's actually very, very depressing to think about. Let's move on. Number two, the U.S. government is enlisting the help of Amazon, Microsoft, and Google to improve the country's critical infrastructure and get defenses against cyber threats. This move comes after a string of high-profile attacks. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is calling the initiative the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative. The effort will initially focus on combating ransomware and cyber attacks on cloud computing providers, as we've talked as we've been talking about ransomware attacks 
have disrupted large parts of the daily life in the U.S. over the past year? Um, I, yes, uh, the, yeah. the Biden White House is really taking the cybersecurity issues. Um, not that the Trump White House didn't, but they seem to be making a very public effort about public-private partnerships to deal with these uh, these aggressive hacks, and they see this as a super risk. I'll go ahead and say that the Trump administration did not take them as seriously as the Biden administration. I, I, I what I'll say is it's just gotten a lot worse, and I'm glad they're doing it now. Uh, and next, our next story, Exxon. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that Exxon is considering a pledge to reduce its net carbon emission, emissions to zero by 2050. Now, as we've talked about before on this podcast, Exxon CEO Darren Woods is facing pressure from investors to demonstrate a bolder path to reducing emissions. He's He had been resisting those pressures. But this also comes after this activist hedge fund elected three new members to Exxon's board this year. And what a difference a year makes. Last year in March 2020, Exxon CEO Woods described ambitious carbon reduction targets made by his European rivals as nothing more than a, quote, beauty competition. So what a difference a year makes. And some well, activists, board members make. And now Exxon's going to be beautiful, too. We, you know, we talked about Chevron's efforts there and how Chevron yeah. thinks that their efforts, in particular in the Gulf, were half as polluting uh, as, as their competitors. So um, Chevron's been taking this to, you know, the other sort of big U.S. major taking this seriously for a long time. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Look at our old friend Fastly. Fastly. Fastly trades under FSLY. Shares fell 10% today and they've fallen 54% since they started trading this year. Yeah, what happened brutal. with Fastly? Uh, they announced a quarter yesterday and the stock just got slammed because uh, the quarter stunk. Uh, mm-hmm. I shouldn't lead with the stock. We should lead with the, what the company did. And you know, we had the Fastly CEO on, what was it, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting view, uh, interview with Joshua Bixby, the uh, CEO of Fastly. And he was quite candid with us about uh, the problems that they had when they had that big hack. Uh, and it led to, uh, they sort of had their a system crash, I should say, across uh, many of their customers. Well, it turns out that their customers didn't like it. They had to offer rebates to customers. One of their top 10 customers just left the company's services entirely. So when they reported revenues of $85 million, up 14% from the year before, but also predicted that revenues for the upcoming quarter were going to be less than the current quarter because of these problems that they're having with their customers, because they're not closing deals like they had been closing deals in the past. And uh, specifically, some of their customers uh, just said that, you know, they're not going to sit with them through this. Um, and, uh, you know, the market certainly freaked out about it because it's expected to be a company that's really going to grow really fast. And if the growth is kind of stopping for a little bit, uh, it gave investors pause as well. But Josh Bixby on the call today, or I should say yesterday, right after the, the results were announced, he talked about sort of customers kind of delaying decisions to see how these guys dealt with it. But he, as he did when he, inter- when he did an interview with us, he kind of talked about the advantage of actually getting in front of some customers, getting to talk to the customers that this uh, outage uh, for Fastly created. It gave him an opportunity to actually get in front of the customers and convince them that they were all in it together. And I think we should separate uh, those two things. You know, as we talked about the customers that have delayed that we called out specifically are, are really unrelated to the outage. I think if you specifically focus on the outage, you know, as we talked about, we, we've got one top 10 customer. I think if you flip this around, what you see is 99% of the enterprise customers or more came back and continued to, um, you know, continue to grow with us. We are lucky. Our customers are technologies, technologists like us in many cases. They understand that outages occur. And that's not to downplay the outages, just to acknowledge that it happened. We own it. Um, it's our responsibility. But I've got a chance, as has Archer and others, to get on the phone with these executives 
And what you hear is, you know, one, an understanding, two, a, a real um, appreciation for how transparent we were during that and during that process and after. You know, we talked about, we put a blog post out, we talked about what happened in the outage, and we talked about we talked about what we're going to do. So what they're going to do is have fewer customers, it sounds like. I mean, he's saying 99% of the customers are staying with them, but uh, the notion that other customers uh, are unrelatedly not signing up uh, is bad news, certainly, for Fastly. One thing that stuck with me about from our interview with Josh yeah. Bixby a few weeks ago, and everyone should go out and listen listen to it, um, you know, is how how he addresses challenges um, in his company. He has a very optimistic outlook. He is, he came across as very ambitious and hardworking. He talked okay. to us about getting up at three and yeah. getting the call at three in the morning and bam, they were fixed, they had it fixed within before the, uh, the sun was up. Yeah. I mean, and not to be too rosy, but he did give me the impression like this is a guy that I could follow into battle is the way the impression I got from him. Wow. Battle. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah, I was impressed by him. I was impressed by him. Ready and I think battle. that he'll, my bet is that he'll be able to weather what's going on with Fastly right now. We shall see. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at HubSpot. HubSpot. I don't know HubSpot. It trades under HUBS. Shares rose 11% today and they've gained 176% over the past 12 months. Tell me about HubSpot. We're actually using HubSpot on the sales side uh, with the, the Business Podcast Network. Um, okay. But uh, HubSpot, a very interesting company, um, not least of which the wonderful book by my friend Dan Lyons uh, about his horrible experience working at this company when it was really focused on kind of content marketing and solutions, um, a Boston-based software company. But they have really made the turn into being a CRM company, competing with the likes of Salesforce. And they've really had some good success uh, with that. Uh, they reported earnings yesterday, revenues of uh, $311 million, up 53% year over year, um, and suggested that things are, are going well and getting better, raising their guidance for the upcoming quarter. They expect to have uh, annual revenues of about $1.27 billion. And they talked a lot about on their conference call, not just about gaining customers for CRM, but retaining those customers. And that's so important for this sort of software as a service business where, you know, you get the customers in, but you keep them. They're not jumping to Salesforce. They're not jumping to Oracle. Um, at least that's according uh, to Catherine Buecher, who is the CFO of HubSpot. Yeah, thanks. We saw another really strong quarter of both customer dollar retention and net revenue retention. You know, the story that we would tell you about retention in Q2 is basically the same story that I told you about retention in Q1. It starts with that foundation of customer dollar retention where we've seen like really healthy uh, trends there since the back half of 2020. And then again, similar to last quarter, there were a real diversity in terms of the upsell motions that are really driving the positive uh, net revenue retention. So again, getting those customers in the door, keeping them inside and then upselling more stuff is a process that's really working at HubSpot. Also interestingly, the CEO and founder after a snowmobile accident where he broke a bunch of bones, took a bunch of time off this year. He's stepping out of the CEO role and stepping up to being executive chairman. Um, so a, a leadership change there as well. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at that insurer known as Lemonade. Lemonade, L-M-N-D. It trades under L-M-N-D. Shares fell 10% today. 
but Lemonade shares have gained 24% over the past 12 months. So tell me what's going, what's new with Lemonade? We've talked well, about Lemonade a few times on the show. Yeah, and with with a market, uh, the stock market is up 45%, the stock up 24% is not yeah. doing much. Yeah. Um, uh, especially after getting slammed today after reporting earnings yesterday. And the earnings, sure enough, were just not great for this company. Indeed, um, the revenue of $28 million was down from $30 million a year ago, um, which is not what you want from a, a recently public um, high-flying stock. Now, this company claims to have a superior technology that lets them be a better insurance underwriter. And, you know, you don't know how insurance companies doing until they face a lot of losses. They, their, their, their notion of what their, how their quality of their product is, you just don't know. And so uh, until there's problems. And one of the things that they alluded to in the call were two things. One was that their reinsurers that they, you know, that kind of back up their insurance product aren't stepping up as they had in the past. They're still there, some of them, but not as much as they had been in the past. The second thing we learned from them is that while they're not breaking out what their losses are for the different insurance types that they offer, um, pet insurance, apartment renters insurance, home insurance, they they say that when they get into new product lines, they talked about this a little bit in the call, how they, I think when they get into new product lines, their losses are greater than when they've had product lines for a long time. Well, they also talked about a lot of plans to get into a lot of new product lines. In other words, they're saying our losses are going to go up. And that's not a good thing for any insurer. Um, even though they were not able to give a hard answer to the question, when are you going to finally be offering life insurance? They're pu- pushing it off and pushing it off and just not giving a firm answer about that. But uh, when they were asked about you know what their loss ratios are by product line, uh, CEO Tim Bixby just wouldn't say. No, we, we actually don't disclose hard loss ratios by, by product line. We, we have, uh, you're, you're correct directionally, we have uh, noted that the more mature products have a lower, more optimized loss ratio. So renters is certainly less than the overall business average. Uh, homeowners and pet is higher. And those vary from quarter to quarter. But uh, again, that's part of the the new product penalty, as, as we term it, that will will likely continue. Um, but we do look at the overall loss ratio of the business, keep that healthy, um, to keep our reinsurance uh, relationships healthy and, and vibrant. Uh, and so all of that's kind of balanced together. And I, I think the trend lines are quite good. Not everyone agrees that those trend lines are quite good. Um, again, you have the CEO really pointing out there that if you don't keep your losses in, under control, your reinsurers don't want to reinsure you. So Lemonade wanted to keep an eye on because I think things aren't going, you know, perfectly there. In any case, we're going to take a look at the world of cybersecurity. You wonder how to tell one cybersecurity from the next, which ones might actually cover a lot of things and which ones might have only kind of Band-Aid-like solutions. Well, our next guest, Sineways Yanov Suisse, is going to help us look at Sentinel-1, an interesting company that really gives us an idea how to understand all of the cybersecurity sector. And the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between. Through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. All right, welcome to the Drill Down. We're joined right now by Yanis Swissa, 
Uh, he's with a venture capital firm called SineWave. Uh, they were early investors in a company called Sentinel One, which just went public. He's going to tell us their story. Uh, Yaniv, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me, Corey. I'm so curious about this company, not because they just did an IPO, uh, but because I have been covering uh, cybersecurity companies for longer than some of our listeners are alive. And I'll be damned if I can figure out which ones are good and which ones aren't until it's too late. Um, explain <laughs> to me what uh, what this company, Sentinel One, does that other companies do not do. Sure. Interestingly enough, most of those companies are not great because they take a very different approach than Sentinel does. So Sentinel, uh, at a high level, is an extended detection and response technology. They started, uh, however, in endpoint. So let me explain kind of the philosophy behind Sentinel's approach, which at the time when they came out was really quite revolutionary um, and has obviously evolved and grown since. So a simple way to think about it is, let me use an analogy, right? So if you have a safe and you want to protect the stuff in that safe, right? Traditional intrusion detection or cybersecurity tools will look for, you know, someone who has rubber gloves or someone who has a crowbar in their pocket or, you know, someone who's wearing Ray-Bans and looks suspicious or something like that, right? But what that does is it actually detracts from the simple fact that there are actually a profile or a set of things that you have to do to crack the safe. And that's what really matters, right? So as an example, you need to enter the room. You need to, you might try to lift it. You might try to drill it, right? And so instead of having to know what the actor looks like or where they're coming from or all of these kind of inconsequential facts about someone, you know, lots of people wear sunglasses, right? Um, so instead of trying to know these inconsequential facts, what Sentinel does is it looks for the bad act. So it looks for when you drill the safe and then it goes on lockdown, calls the police. It looks for when you break the lock to enter the room or try to break the lock to enter the room, right? So we don't care if Mary or Harry or Joe or whoever is trying to break the safe. We care about the breaking part, the attempt to break. Um, and so in cyber, you know, that's the stealing of data or the attempt to move data or the attempt to elevate privilege. So that's the bad action that Sentinel is ultimately looking for. And they can now do that. In the beginning, they started at endpoints, and they can now do that across the spectrum of devices, cloud, network, endpoints, IoT, uh, you name it. So it's really looking for um, the bad things happening, not the access point entry. Correct. And so they can, you know, the way Sentinel would put it is they can protect you from known act bad actors and unknown bad actors because they don't need to know who's coming. They just need to know what they're trying to do. Yeah. A friend of mine long ago told me, you know, when you look at the cybersecurity companies, understand the reason some of these companies have so many of the cybersecurity companies are have the same customers is because the customers have to buy 20 or 30 solutions to sort of stop all the, 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 the holes in their systems. And that the companies tend to offer a handful of solutions, not a ton of, not a, a, a complete solution to cybersecurity problems. That's right. And Sentinel really is a platform, right? So by extending from endpoint to the EXDR space, the extended detection and response, they become a platform. So instead of trying to do whack-a-mole and solve this problem or that problem, you really have control of your entire system. Now, this was a, a problem. This is this is one of the pitches once upon a time that FireEye claimed. They claimed to have both some of the solutions and through their Mandiant uh, business, which they acquired and have not now since spun out, that they would uh, they would apply their solutions and other people's solutions 
And that became a, a too much for them. They they would go. They would say that they would go to a customer and say, "Here, use our FireEye solution." The customer would say, "You sure that's the right one? Have we, there may be something better for us." And that that they were actually hamstrung by having the solutions in house as well as the people offering those solutions. Yeah, and interest. It was a, a particularly an interesting problem across the cybersecurity space that there are so many different solutions and a lot of the CISOs, the chief information security officers at the big companies, everything from small to big companies, have you know bought a lot of things, right? And they're trying to figure out, well, what works and what should I really be targeting and what should I re- really be worrying about? The, the beauty of Sentinel is you, you don't have to worry about this particular type of thing or this particular type of thing because it protects against all of it, right? So it is a holistic solution, which um, I think, you know, several companies have tried to approach it that way, but not many have been successful. And the other kind of thing I'd say on that is that at the end of the day, the great thing in cyber is that you know pretty quickly if the tech works or not, right? You either get breached or you don't get breached, right? Well, is it um, true, though? I mean, you could sit with a, a solution to a problem that has yet to occur for nine months and all of a sudden you needed it. I mean, that's that's kind of the nature of, of the current ransomware attacks, right? Well, that is true. There are kind of folks who might be, maybe there's things that we don't see or don't need, but the, the beauty of Sentinel, let's take ransomware as an example. Uh, if you're, or even like solar winds, right? You're, you're getting in this new way, right? You're getting in through a patch, right? But ultimately, that patch needs to do something bad, right? It needs to get in the code. It needs to do something out of the ordinary in order to do what it's trying to accomplish, right? And so that's what Sentinel detects. So even that kind of unclear, you know, this is their point about the unknown actor. You don't have to worry about it with Sentinel. Talk about how this was developed over time. Because this, this company is actually not terribly new, right? It's been around for uh, nine years. Yeah, so, um, so Tomer Weingarten, the CEO, and founder of the company um, was in like a lot of our cyber tech companies out there. Um, started in the Israeli Defense Forces, right? In the in the group 40, that builds the tech. There you go. Um, and so forty twenty so, is a division of the Israeli Army, is that right? That that yes. uh, uh, does a lot of cybersecurity, offensive and defensive. And we we suddenly find that a lot of companies are started out of that uh, from alumni from that forty twenty. Uh, Division. That's correct. And you could think of that, you know, they are the best technologists um, in, in out of Israel in this case. And, you know, and Israel has pretty high quality. That's right. Israel has very high quality technologists, particularly in cybersecurity of all things. Um, and so Tomer came out of that, began building the company out in Israel with, with the fundamental thesis that, and this was when everybody was still doing perimeter, right? So everyone was trying to still protect the wall around your tech, around your infrastructure or your data. Rather than realizing, forget about the wall, the guys are going to get through the wall. Let's prevent that. Let's try to make it so that we don't care that they got through the wall because they can't do anything bad to us once they're in the wall. Right. And we can find them and throw them out as a result. And so um, so that was really the fundamental thesis that he had and started to build this technology, brought together a group of entrepreneurs in Israel. And then when he got you know a little bit further along in product and customer, ultimately moved to Silicon Valley. And so there's still, you know, tech development and elements of the team in Israel, um, but really started to build the business element of Sentinel One in Silicon Valley, where it is today. And are they are they sort of solution agnostic? In other words, it's essentially a, a, a panel or a way to monitor what's happening in your systems and then deploy solutions and, and any solution provider can kind of come in and be monitored or managed through their, through Sentinel One? 
Yeah, so an endpoint, the endpoints, which is what they protect, right, is anywhere that code runs. So that could be a laptop, a phone, a tablet, an IoT, anything with a chip in it. And they also cover a broad range of endpoints. So to your point, Windows, Linux, Android, ARM, you name it. And interestingly enough, their newest uh, product or newest um, expansion of the product is into even broader endpoints and even broader kinds of technology. So all kinds of camera systems, even, you know, automatic arms in a factory, in a manufacturing factory floor, right? Um, anywhere where there's a chip, doesn't matter what kind of chip, doesn't matter um, what it's running, as long as there's the chip and the agent there, then they can be on, uh, then Sentinel can protect you. It's interesting because it, it sort of seems like it's a, a little bit of a, a network control process where you are you're just managing what the network does and, and not really knowing what it does, you can look for something that's weird, and deal with that uh, as, a, as a, a cybersecurity problem. So interestingly, that's a great point. And that is something that Sentinel, I think, does better than anybody else. So they use AI. They talk about their use of AI, right? Pretty yeah, regularly. Everyone does. Yes. It's a buzzword in our industry. Um, but the way I'm not they sure what it means it, anymore. <laughs> true also. And I'm not sure it completely exists. But what they mean by that is they ingest a ton of data, both, and that data is both context-sensitive and context-aware. So before they launch broadly across your enterprise, right, they're collecting a bunch of data on how things work, what is used. And they're also doing that, of course, across their system of customers, across the entire network that Sentinel manages. And they're bringing in, they're bringing in an understanding of your particular enterprise, how it works. So that part of it contributes to being able to detect anomalies and understand um, how your system works. So as an example, if your company is more subject to ransomware than phishing, they might tweak, you know, they might put more emphasis or they might put, you know, the AI system might tweak so that you're, you know, higher priority on this and lower priority on that. But it still protects all of it. It's just about the modulating of the system to better suit your organization. Um, it, it's interesting to see the growth numbers here where they went from, you know, 46 million to 93 million in revenues year over year, which is almost exactly 100% growth. Um, uh, how much of that is services? And the reason I ask is because obviously the services business is labor intensive. And while it can grow quite quickly, a software only business can grow with greater margins and, and even faster. Yeah, so I think there's two elements to this part of the, the growth, right? The first thing is Sentinel really protects you against anything, but had to learn the marketing game of Okay, we have to say we do, we can help you with ransomware. We have to say we could do virus protection, but really we could just protect you for all of it, right? But that's what people, are, those are the buzzwords to your point. Whatever the latest like worry is, you got to claim to address that. That's exactly right. Whereas they're really agnostic to the word. Maybe we should right? do that with this podcast. We can say, you know, <laughs> hey, we, we can help you with your coronavirus problem at the Drill Down Podcast. Uh, we can help you with your ransomware attack. With the drill down podcast note to self okay please continue Sorry. i love it yeah I so digress. that so once they figured you know some of that marketing element out out it was able they were able to you know significantly ramp revenue growth the other element is this services component so actually you hear a lot about sentinel being compared to crowdstrike which is the other right, yeah. major guy in the industry um and this is actually a key distinction between them so CrowdStrike certainly has a, a significant human element to what they do, and there's that services arm that I think you, Corey, are referring to when you say, you know, the helping them detect or telling them there's something there and then alerting the, you know, the SOC, the Security Operations Center, to get a human to do something. Yeah, about or, coming, or, or sending armies of consultants in to install the solutions, which is what Correct. a lot of the cybersecurity companies have done over time. 
And so the cool thing about Sentinel is they're automatic, right? And they actually remediate automatically as well. So there's no human, like actual analyst or human element to what they do. They have built recently a services arm, but that services arm is not the way I think, Corey, you're, you're thinking of it in that way and not the way, for example, CrowdStrike does it. Their services arm is merely helping you understand how the software works, right? How to deploy it, how to make it operate. But it's not about detecting. It's not about intervening in the, in the solution. It's not a like, consulting practice for understanding your organization. All of that is automated. That context-aware, context-sensitive, detect, remediate response, that is all done without a services level. Um, but for those organizations that want a little bit of hand-holding to understand how to deploy it, they're willing to do that. But it's, it's not actually needed, uh, whereas for other organizations and companies, it's actually required for it to be, to, for you to really get the value from the product. In Sentinel, you don't need that. Yeah, I mean, I, famously IBM, right? We got Watson. We also have 500 guys that are going to march in and charge you by the hour for the next three years. But uh, that's, that's not their approach. Uh, it, 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 you know, I guess when I think of this one, to summarize this, it's just such an interesting approach to get away from this kind of castle and moat notion of defense against hacking, which has been a historic way to, you know, we, we've talked to a bunch of companies like Zscaler that, and, and Okta that talk about zero trust, right? Where, where it's, it's about the, the access point, which is still kind of uh, along the same lines of a castle and moat. It's a very different approach, the same issue with the recognition that you're never going to stop uh, the bad guys from getting it. So zero trust, I'd, I'd characterize a little bit differently. And actually, I'd characterize that as like the next stage of where cybersecurity as an industry is trying to get to, right? Um, so with, with the way I would describe this evolution is, you know, sent the, the wall-based approach, uh, the perimeter-based approach, right? That element of things was traditionally how things were done. Now, what you have is a move toward endpoint, right? That's what Sentinel initiated, right? And so that move toward this extended detection and response through the mechanisms I mentioned where you're agnostic, right? And what's going on there is this perimeter, this idea of the walls, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? So it's getting closer and closer in, it's getting more context aware, more specific in where it's focusing. And so then the next level, once you get rid of the walls and start to realize that that's not the key thing to protect folks, it's the access control, right? And so that is actually, that's not the realm of Sentinel-1, but that is the realm of these zero trust uh, companies that you're talking about. Again, zero trust is becoming a buzzword. Um, but the concept of zero trust is don't assume anybody is trustworthy, right? This perimeter is shrinking, it's disappearing. We have to connect users to these assets safely. How do we do that, right? So endpoint is still there. You need to make sure that those assets are still, still have good hygiene and are protected. But if the endpoint is protected and safe, how do you make sure only the right people can access what's on it, right? And that's the zero trust game. Super interesting. Well, I, you know, uh, this is probably the first recently IPO'd, if I can use that as a verb, company we've, uh, we've featured on the drill down. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this one to us to help us understand the world of cybersecurity and Sentinel-1. Appreciate it. All right. Yana Suisa is uh, with SineWave. We appreciate your time. And when the drill down continues, we're going to find that one number that means a whole lot and tell you just a little bit more about Sentinel-1. But first... The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot -E com. And we hope you listen to Drill Down every day. It's a lot easier if you click the subscribe button and follow us. 
That way your phone will just magically download every episode. You won't have to miss a single show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. And we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, I talked about how this company, is it really software? Is it really services? Well, you can see it in gross margins. And the gross margins for this business are just spectacular. Uh, in 2021, this company had 58% gross margins. Um, which just shows you, you know, they're still not profitable. They're losing a ton of money thanks to uh, their other expenses and stock compensation and so on. But uh, just fantastic gross margins, which shows you this really is a software solution that they can deploy at scale. Yeah, definitely a company to pay attention to. Interesting one. All right, well, thank you for listening to Drill Down. We do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.